Guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we are going to cover Colorado mule deer and Nevada sheep with Adam Bronson of Bronson Outfitting and Epic Outdoors. But before we get to that episode, I wanted to cover something with the Go Hunt Insider draw odds. These draw odds are the most accurate draw odds ever, and I wanted to give an example here of click on Colorado, click on mule deer, archery hunts, units, let's just take 21 and 30. The season dates are August 27th through September 25th in 2016. And if you look at this chart, it shows from zero to 23 points, but more specifically, uh, the amount of people that applied for this archery tag with zero points was nine, with one point was five, with two points was six, with three points was 10, with four points was five, with five points was 13, with six points it was five. Then you get into uh, seven points, which there were uh, one tag drawn out of 13 applicants. Uh, you get to eight points. There were nine tags drawn out of 11 applications. You get to nine points and there were two tags drawn out of two applications. You get to 10 points, there were two tags drawn out of two applications. And you get to 11 points, there were two tags drawn out of three applications. It also has here the unit details uh, of the particular unit. And it shows that the harvest success rate in unit 21 has gone down by 42%, uh, or actually it's 42%. And in unit 30, it's uh, 18% and it's trending down. Now, the quality of bucks, the average quality in 21 is 160 to 180 with 190 inch potential, and then unit 30 is 150 to 170 with a 180 plus potential. Also something to note here is the applications uh, versus tag allocations uh, chart. And in 2015, there were 27 resident tags and 16 non-resident tags whereas in 2014 there were 39 resident tags and 21 non-resident tags in 13 there were 45 resident tags and 23 non-resident tags so this is just one example from the colorado draw odds with gohunt.com insider and you can see how this brings so much value to trying to determine uh, what units you're going to apply for with the, the amount of points that you have. Okay, another uh, stat here that I want to look at on the draw odds is I want to look at, let's just take unit 55, third rifle season, which is November 5th through November 13th, and you look at unit 55, which is a very popular unit. With zero points, there were 12 applicants, 1.5 applicant, 2.12 applicants. Now these are non-residents. 3.6 applicants, 4 points, 4 applicants, 5 points, 3 applicants, 6 points, 10 applicants, 7 points, 10 applicants, 8 points, 11 applicants, 9 points, 9 applicants, and then you've got, at, with 10 points, you've got 18 applicants that drew 8 tags. Then there's 11 points there are six applications that drew five tags. 12 points, there was one application with zero tag drawn. And 13 points, there was 
one application, one tag drawn, and 14 points, there was one application with one tag drawn. If you look at the harvest success last year, it was 82%. Uh, in the year before, it was 82%. The year before that, it was 74%, 72%. The year before that, it was 76%. So you can see that the success rate is actually going up. If you look at the resident to non-resident harvest, or excuse me, application versus tag allocation data, uh, there's 30 residents last year with this third season tag. There's five non-residents. The year before that, there were 31 residents and 16 non-residents. The year before that, in 2013, there were 28 residents, 15 non-residents. In 2012, there were 26 residents, 13 non-residents. In 2011, there were 23 residents and 11 non-residents. And in 2010, there were 20 residents and 10 non-residents. If you click on the Colorado Unit 76 button that's right here by the draw odds, it gives you an overview of the unit. It shows the, the here to the right, there is a uh, outlined map and there is a button that says area services. If I click here um, on, there's several balloons pop up. It shows the Lost Trail Campground, view the website shows the 30 mile trailhead. Here's the 4RU, or let's see, 4UR Ranch with the phone number. Um, here is the Lobo Overlook. Uh, here is the Mineral County Airport. So that's in Creed, Colorado. Uh, if you click here, here's Freeman's General Store. There is Wolf Creek Ranch and Ski Lodge with the phone number. Bruce. Uh, Bruce Spruce Ranch with the address and the phone number and view the website. You can also click here to the right where there's lodging options, grocery options. If you just want to search for gas stations, you're going to click here and it's going to tell me where the nearest gas station. Okay, the near Tompkins, Tompkins Gift and Gas in Creed. Here's the phone number. Uh, also, Wolf Creek Ranch and Ski Lodge. Um, if you've got, uh, let's see, the Whistling Pig, you've got uh, the, the Sportsman's in Lake City. And so you can see here how you can click and learn about the unit as you go. Uh, these, uh, this, this resource is incredible. Also here, there's a moon phase, which you've got uh, the, the moon phase. And if you want to click to, let's say, uh, September of 2016 it looks like the moon is full on the 15th um, looks like the sunrise is at 6:51 a.m sunset is at 7:12, and it looks like towards the end of that hunt there on the 25th i believe uh the the uh, moon is at a quarter and the sunrise is at 6:59. so it talks about the vegetation, the access, uh, the historical temperatures. And then another thing that I like here is the historical precipitation. And let's just compare here in, um, let's compare August of last year. In 2015, the precipitation in unit 76 was 5.86 inches. In 14, it was 3.43. In 13, it was only 1.2. And in 2012, it was 0.65. Uh, if let's kick over here and look at how 
say the uh, spring moisture was in May of 2015, 6.45 inches compared to 14 of 1.07, 13 is 0.78, and 2012 is 0.73. So obviously 6.45 inches is way better moisture in May of 2015. That tells me that uh, the, the elk were doing well going into the summer. That's a lot of snow and rain, and uh, they had a really wet uh, summer, uh, which probably me meant they had good uh, feed conditions. You can also go down here and look at the actual chart, and it lists all of the rainfall totals for 2012, 2013, 2014. For example, if I just want to look and see what the uh, fall of 2015 going into last year's uh, you know, after last year's rut, what, you know, what kind of conditions it shows September was 2.18 inches, uh, in October 15, it was 2.44, November 2.47 and December 2.52. You look over and compare that to say 2013, it was only 1 1.2, 2.6, 0 0.9, 2.06 and 0 0.57. You compare that to 12 shoot 12 was a dry year 0 0.65 0 0.94 0 0.37 0 0.50 0.80 uh, just an incredible resource here for someone that's studying trying to figure out not only their draw odds uh, but harvest ratios uh, bull to cow ratios and so if you're not already a member of gohunt.com insider uh, i highly recommend doing so you can go to gohunt dot com forward slash insider click on the blue join now button and use the j scott promo code when signing up and you'll get a fifty dollar kuyu gift card sent to you by gohunt.com make sure to use the j scott promo code guys i wanted to give you an example for nevada as well and keep in mind that the gohunt.com insider uh, has most of the western states here and for draw odds, they have Colorado, Idaho, Montana, Nevada, New Mexico, Utah, and Wyoming. I'm sure Arizona, my home state, is going to be added to that once we get a full year uh, under our belt of the new system of the uh, five and five, meaning five go to the people, the non-residents with the max bonus points, and 5% go in the random draw. So... Um, let's just go over Nevada here, Mule Deer, Unit 231 is a fairly popular unit. Uh, let's go with the October 5th through the October 28th season. And if you look here, the applications versus tag allocations, uh, 2015, there were 150 resident tags, 15 non-resident. Last year, or excuse me, in 14, there was uh, 156 resident, 10 non-resident. In 2013, there were 180 resident, 13 non-resident. The prior year, 14 non-resident, 175 resident. Uh, in 2011, there were 12 non-resident, 142 residents. And in 2010, there were nine non-residents, 125 residents. If you look at the 2015 draw uh, between, let's see, zero and three points. So zero, there were 412 applicants. One point, there were 242. Two point, there were two, two, 211. Three point, 177. Now, with four points, 
there were 149 applicants, but two people drew. So that's actually uh, 50.53%. Uh, if you take uh, five points, there were 94 applications for four tags, that's 0.81. Six points, there were 109 applications, zero tags were drawn. Seven points, there were 111 applicants, there were three tags drawn, that's 1.6%. Eight points, there was one tag drawn, 87 applicants. Nine points, there was 52 applications, one tag drawn. Ten points, there were 33 applications, zero. 11 points, there were 24 applications, one tag drawn, that's 3.8%. 12 uh, points, there was 29 applications, one. 13, there was 34, one. 14, there was 13, one. Uh, and uh, 15, there was, uh, let's see, th three applications for zero uh, tags drawn. If you look at the harvest success, in 2010, it was 73%, 79%, 63%, 65%, and 52%. Uh, it looks like the harvest success is trending down. There's still a trophy potential of 190 plus. And then, of course, you could click on here for the Unit 231 and then look at all the nearest gas stations, places of convenience, grocery stores, uh, gun shops, uh, tire places, etc. So that gives you a good uh, idea about these incredible, uh, the most accurate draw odds ever. I want to thank GoHunt.com Insider for uh, the guys over there for creating such an unbelievable resource for the guy that's really wanting to pick apart and figure out which units are best and, and look at uh, your, your chance uh, to, to draw. Uh, it's an unbelievable resource. And... Um, uh, I, I want to get right into this episode with Adam Bronson, but before that, I want to re uh, remind you guys that you can always send me emails at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. You can follow along our adventures on my website, jscottoutdoors.com. We love Instagram. Um, my handle is at jscottoutdoors, my associate, Dar Colburn. Uh, at Dar Colburn. We're on Facebook. Find us on J. Scott and Dar Colburn. Uh, also, we have a J. Scott Outdoors Facebook page. And also, check out our YouTube channel, uh, J. Scott Outdoors on YouTube. We've got a lot of great elk videos. We've got a lot of great how-to videos. We've got tons of turkey stuff, tons of sheep stuff, uh, field judging, scoring, how to cape, uh, how to skin, and uh, a lot of fishing videos it's just a uh, just full of information so uh guys i want to thank you for your support and uh i, I just really appreciate uh, all the emails and all the support uh, that that i get over this podcast and i'm going to continue to try and bring great information to you if you have a recommendation for something that you want to hear on the podcast uh, please just shoot me an email uh, if you haven't done so, please also go on uh, iTunes and uh, give us good ratings. Uh, uh, you know, write something nice there about us, and that helps our placement with iTunes. And most of all, tell your friends about the podcast. That's probably people ask me every day what they can do to help, and what you can do is you can uh, spread the word either on social media or just pick up the phone or email your buddies, text your buddies, and tell them to check out the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. So let's get right into this episode where we're going to break down Colorado uh, elk, deer, and sheep, go over all of the draw and uh, how the draw works in Colorado, 
and also the uh, Nevada sheep. Go over the different sheep units and and figure out uh, uh, so you can figure out which uh, units uh, you think are uh, the best for you. Uh, guys, God bless, and uh, let's get right to it. Tired of relying on out-of-date numbers, spending too much on hunting consultants and seeing too little results? With Go Hunt Insider, the old way of doing things is over. With the introduction of draw odds and filtering 2.0, you'll have access to the most accurate, up-to-date information in the industry. You can filter by state, species, trophy potential, weapon, specific days or months of the year, harvest success rate, male-to-female ratios, and much more. All of this leads to easily finding the best hunt for you. So what are you waiting for? Visit GoHunt.com insider and join the movement. Use the J. Scott promo code when signing up and receive a $50 Kuyu gift card. Since 1982, the Outdoorsman's in Phoenix has made it their goal to provide the very best customer service combined with the latest and greatest optics and accessories in the business. Outdoorsman's is the leading designer and manufacturer of high-quality tripods and mounting accessories for any hunter's optical needs. Go to Outdoorsman's.com or call 1-800-291-8065 and use the J. Scott promo code to receive 10% off all Outdoorsman's packs and pack accessories. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have a special friend of J. Scott Outdoors podcast. We've got Adam Bronson with Bronson Outfitting out of Utah and Adam of Epic Outdoors. Uh, Adam, how you doing? Doing great, Jay. How are you? Good. I look forward to today's episode. We're going to talk about uh, the Colorado uh, draw and the Nevada draw for big game species. So um, let's just dive right into Colorado and uh, give me a brief um, description of how the draw in Colorado works, and then we'll work through several of the animals. Okay. Um, deadline to apply is April 5th in Colorado, and I'll probably talk mainly from, I guess, a non-resident perspective. There's a few things to keep in mind is for deer, elk, and antelope, non-residents can apply online. Whether you actually apply for a unit or you're applying for points only, they will charge your your card the permit fees for the deer, elk, and antelope. Uh, They'll keep about, depending on if you hunted there last year, it's about $43 per species. They take a $40 point fee and a $3 application fee per species. So be prepared for that. Even if you're doing points only, it's going to be $350 to $450 per species for those three. Um, You may not, as a non-resident, apply online for the moose, sheep, and goat. It's uh, the one lone state that still requires mandatory paper applications for applications for those three species for moose, sheep, and goat. Uh, and it's obviously a little bit tougher to do it that way. They won't do it online and even charge a 3% convenience fee. It, it keeps the odds somewhat better um, than other than other states for those three species, and we can maybe talk about that here in a little bit. But uh, most importantly, uh, yeah, if you're going to apply in Colorado, you can do it online for the deer, elk, and antelope. But if you're going to do moose, sheep, and goat, you have to do it on a paper application. They're over two thousand dollars, two thousand and eighty-four, I believe, to be exact, per species with a check. And they're very specific on their application. You've got to use black ink, um, 
all caps letters, and uh, they, the application gets optically scanned, and so that's why they do it that way. So it doesn't have to be postmarked until April 5th, so you've got time you know, to wait right to the, towards the deadline and do it that way and get it in. One very important thing to keep in mind in Colorado is anyone born in 1949 or later needs a hunter education card to hunt Colorado. Uh, that means you can be 66 years old and still need that proof. And that catches a lot of people off guard if they've not applied before. In some cases, they lost their card or maybe never took it, and they don't need it in any other state, but you do need it in Colorado. They have some provisions that are making some you know, short courses and different things that you can take that, but you got to be prepared to do that to apply in Colorado. Um, those are probably the X's and O's of, of some of the draw processes. Um, uh, the one probably biggest thing to emphasize on the deer, elk, and antelope is that Colorado is a preference point state, meaning that all the tags for non-residents, at least, for deer, elk, and antelope in most all the units in the state go to people with the maximum point. There's no random component to the draw with a couple of very few exceptions, um, which I probably won't even go into, which is a hybrid draw. But uh, so, in other words, you have to accrue a set number of points generally to draw unit X or Y or Z before you have a shot at that tag. Applying the first year with zero points for a unit two or a 201 or 10 elk tag in northwest Colorado is just a waste of time. Uh, those tags are going to people 23 or more points. And with point creep and the limited number of people that they're drawing out every year, in some of those high-end elk or even high-end deer, it may not even be worth your time to start if that's all the kind of, you know, quality that you're after is the very high-end elk or the very, very high-end deer. Now, it's completely different for sheep, moose, and goat. They do require you to apply for three years and accrue three years of bonus points for sheep, moose, and goat before you're actually on in the draw on your fourth year. And then they give you what's called a weighted a weighted uh, bonus point. So, which essentially it's still a random draw. You get some mathematical advantages each year after you accrue your, your three preference points. So, you can draw sheep and goat or moose tags even with three and zero weighted points. It's mathematically possible. Um, they're not reserved for the high point applicants like they do that with deer oak and animal. So, um, very diverse state. It's got a lot of species and a lot of great quality. You know, you got, you know, whitetail on the eastern plains, mule deer, obviously, which is very well known for Colorado, and a ton of elk, uh, probably 75 or 80% of the state. You can pin tags over the counter on a couple of rifle seasons and archery seasons and hunt opportunity uh, elk hunts. Uh, the other 20, 25%, you got to draw. Their antelope are good, not known as a as a super trophy antelope state, but solid antelope state. Uh, doesn't take a lot of points to draw antelope if you're flying on the eastern plains and they're going to get some landowner access to hunt with them out there. But in the western northwestern part of the state, where the public land antelope are, they do take a lot of points to draw. Great sheep, um, a lot of goat tags, and great shirus moose. And like I said earlier. 
not too tough at drawing odds with compared to a lot of the other states. So that's kind of a quick and dirty on that. And uh, yeah, no, no, how you want to dive into this and what you what you think our listeners be most interested in, Jay? Sure. One of the things um, I wanted to ask you about is this year they're offering a tag return where I believe it's 30 days prior to your season starting. You can uh, retrieve your points back, but I believe you have to pay. You still lose the fee that you paid, but you are able to retrieve your points. Is that correct? Yes, and that's a big change. In the past, you could wait till the day before your hunt started Go over there, say on a third season deer hunt, scout it. If you're getting the weather, you're seeing the deer acting, maybe a little bit ruddy, you have the feeling of this is going to be a good hunt, keep it. But if you didn't and we had a, in a warm weather and it wasn't looking great, you could drive to the division office and turn your tag in and forfeit your permit fees still but get all your points back. Uh, that's, that's still possible this year up until, like you had identified, 30 days prior. So you're not going to be able to, in most cases, do any scouting that's going to help you uh, gauge how well the hunt's going to be in some cases. You're going to have to use that as a resort of, hey, I drew another tag in another state or some family emergency came up or something like that. But uh, be prepared for that. Hopefully they catch too many people off guard that draw tags and go over there with the same mindset they've had in the past and find out that you're stuck with the tag the week before your hunt and you got to use it. One question I would have, too, is they also have a landowner tag program. Um, can you tell me a little bit how that works? And uh, can you clarify, if you can you have a landowner tag and draw tag and kill two, say, deer or two elk, or are they independently uh, where if you have a landowner tag, you, have, you can only harvest one animal per year? Yeah, if we just confine it to, you know, bucks and bulls, yeah, you can only have one. I mean, if you're talking cow, elk and stuff, you can have additional. But uh, if you draw a tag, that's your tag. If you choose to turn in your draw tag and, and switch it for a landowner tag, you can do that. But you can have one buck or bull tag in most cases, and we'll confine that kind of the western slope. Uh, the way that they, they've undergone a lot of changes in their landowner tag draw process for landowners in the last three to six years and the way it currently stands is they set aside 20% of their deer tags and 20% of their elk tags that come from units that are strictly a draw for all seasons for elk uh, and issue those 20% uh, to landowners. That 20% is then broken down to 10% of those tags are unit-wide and 10% are private land only, not ranch only, but private land only. So in the past, it was 15% uh, would get set aside to landowners, and that was a unit wide. And now that's been reduced to 10%. They've increased the private land only portion. So that's essentially taken a few more tags out of the regular public draw by increasing the percentage from overall from 15 to 20. But it's, uh, so that's hurting public drawing odds to some extent while at the same time limiting the number of unit-wide tags, which are what are kind of what made Colorado famous. You can buy a tag from a landowner, hunt not only their property, but all the BLM and forest land within that unit, just as if you drew the tag. Those have gotten a lot harder to find because they've essentially cut those by, by one-third. And uh, um, you know, they're just 
tougher to get your hands on than it seems like they used to be. But it is a good option if you don't have enough points to draw something you're interested in. The landowners have to apply for them, and they use landowner applications, just like like, like we use our preference points for our own personal applications, which means they don't find out what they've drawn until late May or early June, and uh, which is which is good as well. By then, probably 80 or 90 percent of the western states have done their draws, with the exception of maybe Arizona deer, and so you know by then, for the most part, um, what you have or what you don't have and how hard you want to try to get a landowner tag set up for they're a good way to, you know, you know, just like a New Mexico tag or just like a Nevada or Utah landowner tag, a great way to to help fill in a gap if you if the draws don't go your way. Absolutely. Let's take a quick break here and we'll dive right back in. Have you guys heard about PhoneScope? PhoneScope is a privately held company that makes custom molded, precisely engineered smartphone digiscoping adapters. Photographing wildlife has never been easier. Take digiscoping photos and videos from your smartphone and share them with your friends. PhoneScope stands behind their product with a 100% money-back guarantee. PhoneScope is the future of digiscoping. Get yours now. Use the JSCOT16 promo code and receive 10% discount on all purchases. Check them out at PhoneScope. That's P-H-O-N-E-S-K-O-P-E dot com or on Instagram at PhoneScope. Wilderness Athlete is committed to improving the health and quality of life for the outdoor athlete by providing field-tested, scientifically validated nutrition and sports performance products. Check them out at wildernessathlete.com and use the J. Scott promo code to receive 10% off any order in February 2016. Okay, Adam, I want to ask you specifically about deer in Colorado, and I think you know, deer in Colorado in 2016 is kind of the buzz, obviously because of the season dates uh, being uh, later than normal and most third season hunts, uh, which I believe start the 5th uh, through the 13th of November, uh, are much like fourth season dates. Um, and fourth season dates, I believe, are the 16th through the 20th. And both of those dates are going to create probably some really good mule deer hunting with, you know, the rut coming on and, you know, certainly by the fourth season, you know, full-blown rut. Um, let's let's talk about uh, Colorado deer. You know, yeah, there's Colorado from a habitat standpoint, genetic standpoint, is, is really hard to beat from a mule deer perspective. And it has such a variety of habitat, terrain, and hunt types. And, you know, three, um, two to three rifle seasons, a muzzleloader season, and, and archery seasons, all over the state just makes the options almost endless. And, and guys can really drive themselves crazy. And I've done that stuff uh, to myself at times, trying to select what you really feel is the best bang for the buck for your points over there. But it's really hard, you know, to ignore exactly what you described, the calendar shift this year with the third and fourth season. When when mule deer hunters see dates in November, especially some of those that start creeping into mid mid or deep into November, uh, makes their heartbeat race a little bit because of the, the possibilities that they get weather. Those can be exceptionally good hunts. I've been in Colorado over the last 12 years 
and a lot of different units. And I've been there on years with earlier dates when we've had exceptionally early storms in the high country and have driven the deer down out. And if they're standing around rutting by the 1st of November, and it's a phenomenal third season hunt. I've been there on a year like this, you know, five or six years ago. And, you know, again, probably 10 years ago when the dates kicked late like they are this year. And I've had bluebird weather, shirt sleeve, and it's been kind of anticlimactic. And so you can't predict that. Um but just based on the calendar, um, it, it sure should set up at least as much in your favor as you can control um, with with weather hopefully having an influence on getting deer driven down out of some of the higher reaches of these units, compressing them a little bit lower to the lower and mid-elevation units, mixing them with the does, the fawns, and start to initiate the rut. Um, so, yeah, I, I know a lot of people, as we've talked to, you know, this endless amounts of hunters about how to use their points there this year. I'm really anticipating a fairly good point creep effect going on this year, which will be fairly significant on units that have very low tag numbers where it doesn't take, you know, four or five people with a bunch of points switching can really skew what it's going to take this year. Um, other units that have, you know, four or five hundred third season tags collectively, it's going to get masked a little bit, but it's still, it's going to be harder to draw, for the most part, every third and fourth season in the state this year, I anticipate. I think one thing that needs to be pointed out, too, is, you know, for those people that are really gunning for that fourth season, I think a good point to be made is also that uh, I had uh, an outfitter, that, that uh, Cliff Gray of Flat Tops Wilderness Guides, and he was talking about the fact that, you know, in some units that fourth season actually might not be as good if you don't have access to private land in that it is so late. And if they do get storms, those deer will be moved down into the sagebrush and in, in a lot of the different units in lower country. But a lot of times that means on private property. So I think that that's a great point to think about and make sure that the unit that you're choosing um, isn't one that's subject to tons of private property because it could actually work against you. I was curious if you had any thoughts on that. Yeah, I've, I've been on certain units like that in the past uh, that, that that's actually occurred. Um, and it's even occurred during the third season. There are certain units that uh, don't have very much mid-elevation range with private ground. And the deer normally might be in that range but with three or four feet of snow in the high country they just blow through all that and they get down to the ag fields and the you know small intermittent parcels of public and private right behind the ag fields and towns and you just drive around looking at big bucks and fields rutting does and you can't do a whole lot to do with it now that's going to go on to some extent in all units every year but uh, yeah i think it's key to know the unit you're applying for and to know whether that, how big of an impact that can actually be. Certain units that have endless amounts of national forest and then BLM at the base of that is not going to be as big of a problem. But uh, I think it could go on certain units with you know, high, high amounts of private land down low, particularly if you get a lot of storms prior to the four seasons. For sure. Um, what about the archery hunts? And we'll come back to the third and fourth season hunts, but... 
Um, what do you see going on? Any difference in the archery or the muzzleloader hunts? I know um, some of the high country hunts can be fantastic. And when you're looking at Colorado mule deer, um, how often do you lean to go, you know, during the velvet on some of those hunts? Or are you primarily always trying to get, a, you know, a third or fourth season tag somewhere? No, I, I've done over there the muzzleloader before, um, and, and I think it's one of the most underrated hunts in Colorado. Having said that, not all units are real easy or conducive to hunt. I prefer when I hunt high country to hunt country that, that that's very open and glassable. Some units have timber all the way up to the high peaks, and the deer are up in there, but they're not near as easy to find and and keep a track keep track of as they are in other units. So. Uh, the archery and muzzleloader hunts, for me, I personally like to hunt in the high country. There's other units like 21 and 30, which is more of a high desert, pinion juniper, oak brush, a little bit of aspen zone that doesn't have a traditional high, you know, 9, 10,000 plus elevation summer range that you're going to be able to access, you know, the deer, you know, that aren't on private land just as good then as you are in the second or third season. But... For people that don't have to hunt in November or their schedules don't uh, maybe allow it this year for one reason or another, those September hunts, you get first crack at them. Um, you do have to use an open site muzzleloader in Colorado. That deters another subset of people. The other thing about some of those early high country hunts, some of them are a week before the muzzleloader hunt. And I... I personally, if I was looking at those and had the 8, 10, 12 points to require to draw some of those units, I would personally not apply for one that had, some of those have the muzzleloader and the early rifle hunt starting the same day, which is September 10th. And for me, there'd be no way that I'd burn 10 or 11 points on an early high country rifle hunt during the same time that I could, you know, draw it with a muzzleloader with zero one-pointers, perhaps buy a three or $500 landowner tag and be there with a muzzleloader, but to be there a week before everybody with a rifle when the only other things going on is archery hunting, that's a different story. You know, unit 82, um, you know, unit 74, units like that. So I, I do think they're overlooked a lot more, particularly in a year like this when the, when the later dates, like I said, kind of make all meal deer hunters, you know, get a little bit giddy. But, but having said that, there is more scouting generally need to be involved on a muzzleloader hunt. Um, you're not just showing up and hopefully allowing the, the rut to help your hunt, you know, come to fruition. you you got to turn turn up a deer yourself, and if you don't have as much time to scout or time to get there a little bit early, maybe that isn't the right hunt for everybody. One question I have about uh, high country hunting uh, in the early season, have you experienced uh, altitude sickness? Um, have you had, um, much, um, you know, have you dealt with that very much? And if so, what did you do to mitigate those, um, symptoms? You know, I've never can say that I've had altitude sickness. Um, uh, I guess there's been times when I just say the mountain's kicking my butt and I don't feel like I'm as good a shape as I should be in for being where I am and hunting. But, you know, being from, from Utah, growing up in a town at 7,200 feet elevation, you know, maybe that's just, you know, what I chalk it up to. But, you know, similar to some of the high elevation Rocky Mountain Bighorn hunts, some of those hunts are at the in the wilderness only valid above timberline. And you're talking at 
10, 5, 11 plus. And a lot of the United States is obviously, you know, under one or 2,000 feet. And that can be a serious consideration for a lot of people. And if you've never been in a situation like that, it might be a little bit of a gamble to just show up and say, that's what I want to do if you've never put your body in that situation uh, and hunted under those conditions. And even if you do, there's a lot uh, more out there this day and age to help train, uh, to help help your body get uh, trained uh, ahead of time for those type of conditions and then getting out early and simply breathing that air, being there three to five days earlier is probably the next best thing you can do. But I've never had to, unfortunately, you know, shut myself down or drop down. I've had hunters that I've guided from time to time, even in Utah, where we're, you know, 10,000 feet at camp and an elk hunt, and they've struggled just sitting in camp or sleeping at night. And it's something that's real and something that should not be overlooked for those high country hunts, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I I live here in Arizona and, and Scottsdale more specifically, and, you know, at about 1,600 feet, and... Um, you know, I'm 43 now and the last couple of years I spend the summers in Colorado and the last uh, four or five years actually going to Colorado, um, I noticed that I get real, a lot of headaches, feel lethargic and, uh, you know, I think it's classic signs of, of altitude sickness and, um, uh, you know, it's definitely something that you need to think about and try and get acclimated. I, I've had some success with that uh, Wilderness Athlete product, the, the Altitude Advantage or High Advantage or whatever they call it, but um, and and taking it, you know, 10 days uh, before um, and, and had some success with that. Last year, I forgot to take it and, um, you know, for about the first seven days, I, you know, I fought headaches and what have you. Um, but I, I, I think it's definitely something to point out to people before they get gung-ho and know that it could be an issue. So arriving early or making a trip in the summer and, you know, spending time at elevation and just see how you're going to be able to handle it um, is important. Um, talk to me about some of the uh, better rifle units for a deer in Colorado. You know, that that, that kind of needs to be somewhat qualified with based on how many points you have. That's the first question I'll always ask somebody when they said, where should I put it in Colorado? Well, since there is no randomness, it really depends on how many points you have. But if you were to just ask me independently the top, you know, handful of units in the Western Slope, you know, 44 is going to be towards the top of that list. They give so few permits on the third and fourth season and have such great genetics and limited harvest that that is always going to be a perennial, well, until they get a heavy winter, it's going to be a perennial great hunt. You know, units in the Gunnison Basin, some of those units are making progress back towards where they once were. I've talked to several friends, outfitters, fellow hunters from that area throughout this winter, monitoring the, you know, snow and whatnot, which you know, come early February, looked like it might be somewhat severe. And then February hit both there and in Utah, and it was like we had spring fever, snow melted, and it kind of alleviated any of those major concerns. And while that area will probably never be as as top-loaded on older-age-class bucks as it was from, say, 2002 to 2006, and, and may never be again, um, 
things are showing positive signs of improvement there. You know, 66 and 67 are probably, uh, it's hard to say slightly better, but, but you at least have limited entry elk hunters on that side and lower numbers of deer tags. So you don't have quite as many hunters of field that you're sharing them with. Um, you're at 53. Obviously, the later that, that you can get, the better. It does have a lot of wilderness up in that unit, uh, 53, third or fourth season, for guys that want to have the potential uh, of the rut kicking in there. And then, you know, more and more people that we talked to last year that hunted Unit 21, which has always been a fairly, you know, well-known unit on the Utah border there north of Grand Junction, there were some giant bucks that came out of 21 last year. Um, you know, 230 and 250 plus deer. And while that's not everybody there, and those are obviously big deer for wherever they happen, the number of deer and quality of bucks that our guys are seeing there is showing signs of improvement. And then you've got just a lot of other good units. And I guess I'd probably say Colorado, unlike 10 years ago when there was a lot of great, right now there's just a lot of good units. Not any no-brainer, here's your 200-inch buck if you can just draw the tag type type hunts um a lot of hunts you're going to have to get lucky get favorable weather conditions but you're just putting yourself in the right zip code with you know the right dates to hopefully make it happen seems like uh you know units like 35 and 36 uh, maybe 25 26 uh, units um let's see 43, if you can get the right year. Some of those units are all good options for people that don't have hardly any points. Uh, I'd probably say the top of that list are probably 35, 36. It gives a lot of tags. A lot of people have hunted that for a lot of years. Several of us in the office here have hunted there. And got great genetics. It's just uh, hunted fairly hard. Had some private land limitations there, but it's got a good age structure. And, you know, for one point or two, maybe this year, we'll see. It's a pretty dang good hunt. If you can tolerate people, use a land ownership GPS chip in your GPS and try to, you know, realize you're not on the Henry Mountains in the Arizona Strip. You're going to see other elk hunters, other deer hunters, but that's simply Colorado. A lot of people don't realize that, that in most areas, in almost every area, you're going to be sharing the mountain with, in some cases, probably 75% of units over-the-counter elk hunts in second and third season. And that's a lot of people, and that catches a lot of people off guard. It's not like a true limited entry hunt. This is me. I'm here with my other 50 or 100 or 150 deer hunters, and that's it. And you've hunted there, I know, Jay, in the past, and and several um, units in Gunnison and whatnot. It's just a different, you know, they're 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 the king of state in terms of overlapping deer and elk hunts, maximizing opportunity, while trying to balance quality and all of that. Um, and, and that's there's a lot of good that can come from that. But if you're strictly focused on mule deer, you need to be going to that with both eyes open and realize it's a little bit different um, uh, hunt than maybe you're expecting when you draw a limited entry deer hunt in Arizona or in Utah or Nevada. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think, you know, it's all in your mindset of going into it. And if you do, you know, whichever unit you decide to put in for, you know, if they've got over-the-counter, uh, you know, cow hunts or or or, or late rifle hunts, um, you need to, you're going to see orange all over. I mean, you're, it's just going to happen. 
I think one of the things you have to do is move, you know, bounce around a lot and because you're looking for one buck and, yeah. you know, you may have one great buck and it's surrounded on a hillside by, um, you know, what what we call pumpkins or, you know, everybody in orange and nobody can shoot them because nobody has a tag, but you feel like you got people all around you. But if you kind of go into it with that mentality, I think you're going to you're going to be a lot more successful and you're going to have a lot better hunt for sure. Yeah, absolutely. You just have to be prepared for that. And I've hunted Colorado enough that I I try to find my way to Colorado every year, whether it's on a landowner tag or if I use my points. And just because of the the potential that exists in a lot of units. When you get weather in Colorado, I've been on units where I've had second choice tags or leftover tags and we got weather and I've had incredible hunts, as good of hunts as I've had, and I've used points or spent money on a landowner tag. It's, you know, the equivalent of four, five, or six points. So you just never know in Colorado. It's got such great deer habitat, so many different options, and the genetics across the board pretty much statewide, and the record books bear this out, it, they're just almost second to none. So you just got to go into it with both eyes open, and being there is better than being hauled. That's, that's what I always tell people. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, let's take another quick break here. Utah Hydrographics is in the water transfer printing service, and they are open to whatever you can dream up. Choose from a wide range of camo patterns, designs, and colors. Whether it's guns, bows, tools, rifle stocks, vehicles, steering wheels, fenders, dashboards, paint guns, fishing rods, cups, tripods, watches, knife grips, Helmets for a local sports team or for your motorcycle. Picture frames, mailbox, animal skulls, you name it. They can probably do it. Utah Hydrographics loves taking things that are general looking and turns them into something that looks fantastic and eye-popping. Give them a call and see what they can do for you and receive up to a 10% discount by using the J. Scott 16 promo code. Visit them at utahhydrographics.com or on Instagram at Utah Hydrographics. Whether you are interested in elk, deer, antelope, bighorn sheep, or moose, Western Hunter and Elk Hunter magazines will bring the adventure to your mailbox. These publications feature articles on the finest hunting gear, tips and tactics from experienced hunters, field judging trophies, glassing techniques, calling strategies, and much more. To become a more knowledgeable and skilled hunter, subscribe today. Go to westernhunter.net forward slash jscott and enter your email address for a chance to win a $1,500 credit towards any Swarovski product. Hey, Adam, if I ask you about um, Eastern Plains stuff, are you good talking about that a little bit? Uh, As far as individual units and whatnot, I know it's all so private land dependent and it's somewhat uh, cases dependent upon who's least and how hard they're hunting it. That there's a lot of variability. We could talk about it in a couple sentences like that, but not individual units. Okay, sounds good. Um, do you feel like we've covered the deer and you know just talked roughly about some of the units and we can move on then? Yeah, sure. The, you know, I just maybe briefly will address the eastern plains of Colorado is ninety. 95% plus private land, very um, dependent upon private land ownership and uh, outfitters or landowners leasing and hunting their property, crop rotations, and all those types of things. 
There are some great bucks, both whitetail and mule deer, that come out of the plains every year. It's not for a do-it-yourself type hunter. You're going to need to know, either have a connection there or get lined up with a landowner outfitter. But it shouldn't be overlooked if you think you're going to be looking at hiring somebody when you go there. And generally, it can be drawn with much fewer points than anything on the western slope. But uh, uh, keep that in mind if you're looking at deer on the eastern plains. Okay. Um, let's talk a little bit about sheep. I know you touched on it uh, briefly. Um, so people that are listening that don't have a lot of points, uh, they they may look into some of the deer and elk hunts where there's high opportunity. Um, but the sheep, uh, you actually, uh, the sheep, moose, and goat, you actually do not even have a mathematical chance until you have at least three points. That's Is that correct? That's right. You're you're actually, your fourth year, you're actually in the draw for the first time, even though they make you submit your permit fees and everything. Even if you're doing points only those first three years, you're still sending in the roughly just over $2,000 for your sheep and goat and moose tag, with the exception of desert sheep, which is just barely under $1,400. They only give one non-resident desert sheep tag currently a year in Colorado. And uh, there's no points associated with that desert tag. It's just strictly first guy out of the hat gets the tag, guy or gal, I should say. And so they do have both species of sheep. You cannot apply for both in the same year. Um, And a lot of people, if they already have a bunch of points built up for Rockies, they obviously, my recommendation is to stick with that unless, You've killed a rocky or two or draw one in another state, and then you're like, okay, now I really need a desert, another opportunity to try to draw a desert tag, then maybe consider jumping to the desert sheet. But, uh, yes, your fourth year is the first year you're actually in the draw for both uh, uh, rocky, rocky mountain goat and shower snows. And with that being said, once you're in your fourth year, you, you can draw a tag, correct? Yes, you could draw the first year. After you get your your three points, that's right. And out of those animals, um, would you say you know trophy potential is highest on the Rocky Mountain sheep, or would, out of the goat and the, and the moose, which, as far as trophy potential, um, out of those three animals, where does the state shine? I, they're, they're Rocky units. We we as non-residents can't apply for every single unit in the state. Um, we usually can put in for about 10 or 12 of their units that are designated as non-resident licenses. For the most part, the non-resident units that are open this year, uh, book rams are really not realistic uh, expectations. Uh, a 160 to maybe a mid-170s ram on the upper end would be an expectation. Now, surely a 175 to 180 type ram could come out of a couple units more likely out of, say, Unit 33 or 21, um, or Unit 1 and 18. But but when it comes to sheep, myself included, j- just give me a sheep tag. I don't know that many people would be bummed to draw a non-resident tag and only have a chance to hunt 160 or 70 rams. Their Shiris moose have great quality and have had for a lot of years. And I would say their goats, uh, right now, they're probably just listed as average. They've got a lot of goats. Um, they issue a fair number of tags, and in some units, um, they've been fairly aggressive on permit numbers. They've, you know, taken a lot of goats out of them. Not a lot of high-end trophy billies, or at least scoring-wise billies, but when it comes to goats, 
a lot of people, if you've never killed one, are just happy, again, to draw a goat tag. You know, the difference between an eight and a half and a nine and a half incher to most people is nothing. And so the odds are usually fairly good on the Colorado goats um, and generally good for, for all three species for a couple of reasons I mentioned that that uh, draw process deters some people from ever starting and trying to accrue three points before they're actually in the draw, and then having to do a paper application with a check and mail it in is another deterrent. It can get expensive. Um, you know, I apply for myself and wife and all three of my kids over there, and you know, there's over ten thousand bucks to just do sheep. And uh, if I didn't love sheep so much, I definitely wouldn't do it. And it's uh, you know, I have to plan pretty much all spring coming into that because I, you know, you have to have that kind of money sitting around um, for a couple of months. But that keeps the odds somewhat better. Um, maybe someday they'll they'll allow non-resident supply online and charge a visa three percent convenience fee. But for now, that's that's their system. That's what, that's the game you got to play. Yeah, you know. Um... I want to ask you, I want to transition a little bit, um, unless you think there's anything that we missed in Colorado, I want to talk to you about Nevada sheep as well, and in this episode, I kind of wanted to make it a two-part episode, uh, and certainly anybody that's listening that has questions uh, more on the Colorado draw of any sort can give Adam a ring, look him up at Epic Outdoors, and he can answer those questions. Um, but are you okay uh, shifting transition here to um, Nevada? Sure. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, let's let's talk about Nevada, and I specifically want to ask you about Nevada sheep because I know that uh, you are an outfitter in Nevada. I know you are a sheep nut, and uh, I believe the deadline for applying in Nevada. Uh, for all the big game animals, but specifically sheep, is April 18th. Um, and just to reiterate, the deadline for Colorado is April 5th. But let's dive into Nevada, their draw process, and uh, some of the sheep units that you uh, like the best. All right. Yeah. Yesterday, uh, so we're open. Yesterday, Nevada opened their online uh, application process. Very similar to anybody that's applied in Utah. Same company actually runs it. Uh, you must purchase a non-resident hunting license, $142, if you want to accrue points. If you just apply for sheep or deer, elk, or antelope, and pay the, I think, $16.50 per species, you can do that, but you won't accrue points. I highly recommend accruing points. There's too many other people doing that, that to just spend the application fee every year and not buying the license is is, is not really wise. Um, so it is somewhat expensive at $142. And then for, you know, have two species of sheep, desert sheep and California sheep, which you can apply for both, you know, and then deer elk and, and antelope. And so you can be, you know, $200, $250 non-refundable to apply. They only charge you that license and application fee up front online when you apply in Nevada, and you're not billed for any additional permit fees unless you're successfully drawn. You One very important thing that catches a lot of people off guard that have never applied in Nevada before is if you're born after 19, in 1960 or later and want to apply there, you must pre-register 
your proof of hunter education, having a, uh, passed a course in some other state before you can go online and apply. If you just simply say, hey, I'm going to jump online and apply in Nevada tonight, it will not let you. You have to first uh, print off a form off of their uh, online application site, send it in to them, basically identifies who you are, social security and date of birth address, and a copy of a hunter education card from your home state or a hunting license with the hunter ed number on it or something that they show a demonstration of having proof. Then they will email you back or send you back confirmation, give you a sportsperson ID number and allow you to apply in the draw. Is so, that only by uh, mail, Adam, or can you email that information to them? You can email that to them. In fact, I, I do that every year for any new clients that we get signed up that we apply. Uh, okay. You just call that, that 800 number and get the email address from them, and you can scan and, and, and email them both in there. It's a lot quicker that way. And that way you can email it to them. And it's, they usually say, give us a week to get back to you. My experience has been three to five days, and I have all my customer ID numbers back, and I'm ready to go with my guys. But uh, if you wish to apply on paper, you can do it, do it that way and send it in on a paper application. But uh, just don't sit down the last night or two thinking you're going to jump online and get it done if you've never applied in Nevada before and you're born in 1960 or later. You have to demonstrate having proof of hunter ed. Nevada has a bonus point system. They do not set aside any portion of their permits for people with maximum or high number of points, which I believe is 20, 25, 26 this year. But they do square your points. So you get an increased, you know, advantage every year by, you know, exponential increase every year that you get points. And so if you look at the drawing odds in Nevada, which they're a little bit hard to calculate because they do allow you to apply for five choices for all species and they only list the drawing odds for the first choice. But it still gives you an idea of who's drawing tags. And, and when it comes to sheep especially, you'll see guys that draw with two or three or five and guys that draw with 18 or 20, 22. It's literally all over the place. It's luck of the draw. It's just mathematics. You're going to have a better shot with 200 or uh, uh, 20 points as someone's going to have with, with uh, two points. But that doesn't mean that their lucky number can't happen before yours can. But um, in general terms... You know, desert sheep are still a lifelong pursuit. You're never going to, you know, be able to predict it unless they change their draw system. Just like you can't predict it truly for deer or elk or anything else. It just happens when it happens, even though uh, deer and elk is a lot more predictable when you get, you know, start to get to double-digit points. But uh, that's a simple breakdown of how they run their draw. Um, it, I, I like the system. I, I frankly like the variety of all the states because some states you can predict, some you can't. And uh, if they're all the same, it would, you know, it would be harder to harder to get quite as excited about pulling a tag in a state like New Mexico the first time you put in or something like that. Nevada is one of those. I've guided people that have drawn with two or three points and guys that paid their dues after 16 or 18 points for sheep. It's uh, it's a state that last year issued 30 or 31 non-resident desert sheep permits. And... Uh, I think all other states combined, if you had one in California, three in Utah, one in Colorado, two or three in New Mexico, one in Texas, and roughly 10, 10 or 11 in Arizona, you're still only at about 20 with all those other states combined. 
So if a desert sheep is on your list at some point in your life, Nevada currently, because their sheep numbers have been doing great, issues more than all the other states combined. Like I said, over 30, 31 tags to non-residents last year, which is, is kind of hard to fathom when you consider some states can't even issue near that many tags, you know, as a whole. Um, so anyway, things are, are going great in Nevada. They, you know, like with sheep, there's units that, that cough and sputter, pun intended, when it comes to sheep, you know, when you have ups and downs. But for the most part, when you've got sheep on the ground, Nevada has a mindset of issue the tags and let sportsmen hunt, hunt the rams. And uh, they're considered Nelson bighorn for desert sheep. But every year there's rams killed that are 175 to 180 inches. And that'll rival a lot of units, as you all know, Jay, for some of the southern Arizona units. Those are big sheep. And uh, some of those better units, uh, not all of them, we as non-residents can apply for. Again, they they approve certain units every year for non-residents to apply for, and residents can apply for any and all units. But if I was to say, from a non-resident perspective, the top you know five or six units that I would consider the best trophy units, uh, I'd probably say 268, 263, 267. 181, 271, units like that. Um, those are probably some of the better trophy units. But having said that, they've got a lot of other options in Nevada where if you're not as concerned about trying to kill a book ram, you know, a 170 plus or better ram, there's a lot of other units like, you know, 173, 205, 207, 211. 213 that some of those get a lot of sheep tags. Some of them get two, three, or four non-resident tags per unit. By and large, they're going to kill 140 or 150 inch rams, just representative desert sheep in most of those units. 160 plus rams, 165 occasionally will come in out of some of those units. But if you're just interested in drawing a tag, those are some units I would consider. And again, you get five choices. It's not like other states where you pick one and you're it. You get loaded up with five. And so I generally tell guys, even if they're of a better odds strategy, pick maybe at least one unit on the more trophy scale in case you just are one of those real lucky guys because, you know, maybe then you get a chance at your first choice or your first and second of the unit. You might have a chance to realistically hunt for a, a book ram and then fill it up with three or four other of the better odds choices just to try to improve your chances to get the tag and, uh, we all know how hard desert sheep tags are to draw. And Nevada, because of the number of tags and the number of variety of units that they have, allows a guy to, to stockpile four or even all five units of better odd type choices and have as good of odds probably as you're going to have anywhere drawn a desert sheep tag. So those top units that you're talking about, um, what mountains, unit 268, what mountains are those? That's the Muddy Mountains, uh, you know, 267 is the Blacks, 263 is the McCulloughs, you know, 271 is the Mormons. And, and some of these units, they have more than one mountain range that comprise them. But uh, um, overall, those are those are the main mountain mountain ranges within those four or five units there. And so the muddies are always at the top of your list. So if you had your choice to have a client in the muddies every year, that would be the unit that you just love to go to? 
Well, it, it has been. We've killed a couple of really big rams out of there. It, it's it, it, They issue 27 or 8 total desert sheep tags a year there, with three or four of those going to non-residents. Admittedly, it feels a little weird when you're on that unit leading up to opening day. There's people running on the roads almost everywhere. It'll rival a lot of your deer hunt, at least on the roads. Once you're in the field, they kind of spread out. But that's a little bit different to get used to. But, um, yeah, we still know some great rams still alive there, running around. But in all reality, all of these units, several of them that that I just rattled off, are all right next to each other. And, uh, you know, the, the potential is great on all of them. We've killed you know, 40-inch-plus rams on three of those five units. And so uh, it's, uh, you know, it's splitting hairs, you know. And the biggest ram sometimes can come out of a unit that you'd least expect it. Occasionally a 262 will throw a giant ram, you know, over towards the California border. Um, It's got a lot of high-elevation tree-type country there that sometimes just can harbor sheep that kind of, you know, don't, don't get seen or get passed up just based on whoever hunts there or doesn't hunt there the previous year. But um, those would be the units that I tend to favor um, uh, if you're looking for better scoring them. In the muddies with, you know, 30-some tags or whatever, um, they must have a 1,000 sheep in there. I mean, with that many tags, what what kind of count of, of numbers of sheep do they have? I'd have to look at that most recently. Jay, but it's also a unit that we as neighbors, being the state of Utah, have been the recipient of a bunch of sheep, 150 plus sheep over there the last three or four years that we brought into Utah for that unit. And they've also got new hunts um, prescribed there and have had for the last couple of years. And so if we learned anything about sheep, you just can't let sheep continually grow and grow and grow because the threat of you know, sheep expanding, wandering out of traditional sheep country and coming into contact with either, you know, backyard sheep and goats or whatever goes up whenever you just really, really saturate a sheep range with sheep. So Nevada Department of Wildlife has been real proactive to try to limit that there as well as other units like the bears and, and other units just for the simple fact of We've got more than we need, more than we can probably support. The water resources there, which are primarily artificial, have had a hard time keeping up with the demand during the very hot summer months. And uh, like I said, we we here in Utah, a lot of our sheep sheep we brought in have come from there, and we've always had our hand out uh, when we had good, clean sheep sources for Nevada to be able to help pay and bring those sheep to Utah to put them in fill gaps for our habitat here. So. I don't have an exact number, but and I could find that if I did a little bit of digging. But there's there's sheep everywhere. It's unbelievable on that ranch. And let's talk a little bit about the California bighorn and and the opportunities that Nevada provides for for those sheep. Yeah, for non-residents, they only allow us this year at least to apply for four different units: unit 31, 32, 34, and unit 12. And I would say that's probably how I would rank them if I were to pick. Having said that, like I said, you get five choices. They only allow us to put in for four. I'd put in for all four. Uh, Last year, they only gave six tags to non-residents. 
and which essentially means everybody that's applying, every non-resident applying for the same tax. Some people might only apply for one unit, but most people that I know put in for all four. Expectations in most all those units, you're going to hunt 145 to 160 rams, with, with, but 165 plus potential. Occasionally they'll take one or maybe two, 170 California bighorns out of those units each year. There is another handful or a little over units that residents can apply for, but those are all found you know, north of, of I-80, up near, in some cases, the uh, the Idaho-Oregon uh, borders. Uh, and, you know, nice sheep, any sheep's a nice sheep, uh, generally not incredibly physical, high desert, you know, mountain ranges up there, uh, one tag or two tags per unit, two-month-long liberal seasons um, from September to the end of October. I didn't ask you about the seasons for desert sheep. What are the season dates uh, roughly there? Almost every unit is November 20th through December 20th. And that's that's primarily why I got intrigued about uh, guiding sheep hunters in Nevada. I live in southwestern Utah, and many of these units were within two hours, two and a half hours of my, my home here in Utah. And most of our Utah hunts are over by you know, 10th to 15th of November, most years were finished. And so it just allows me to go hunt sheep a couple of more times of the year before winter sets in, and I have to just think about next year. And so it fuels your addiction is what you're saying. Yeah, it just allows me to squeeze <laughs> one or two more sheep hunts in a year instead of hanging it up mid-November. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um you know, that's we've covered a lot of ground today. I would say, um, you know, I want to give you a chance to tell people where they can get a hold of you and a little bit about what you do, Adam, because we kind of jumped right into this episode, and I know you've been on the podcast before, but tell me what you do and where people can get a hold of you and um, how you make your living. Um, well, I guess with regard to Nevada, you can – my website is bronsonoutfitting.com. All my contact email, cell phone is all on there. And if you have any questions about the Nevada sheep draw and whatnot, that's the best place to get a hold of me. Um, also, my day job, particularly this time of year, is at Epic Outdoors, where uh, myself and uh, fellow consultant Jason Carter and our team here have a business that uh, helps people get on western hunts. Uh, we have a license application service, uh, landowner tag service, booking agency, and uh, later in the year we'll be coming out with a uh, much much more uh, broader-based service for all hunters, those that maybe take care of their own applications and things like that. So stay tuned. Uh, maybe a later podcast down the road we can highlight some of that when, it, uh, when we're ready to push go on it. So Epic Outdoors, E-P-I-C, outdoors.com. Uh, all our contact email and phone numbers are there if you have any questions about applying in the West or, um, you know, if you need some help with your applications, if you find yourself missing deadlines um, or too busy or don't have the time to quite do the research that, that needs, that's what we do. That's what we do every day. It's what we wake up and do every day. And so um, give us a call if there's anything we can help you with. Well, I appreciate you uh, spending time with us and I uh, get a lot of great feedback from your prior episode. So I would encourage the listeners, if they haven't listened to Adam, 
talking about uh, Arizona, New Mexico, Utah, some of these different states uh, to, to do so. And uh, just uh, appreciate you spending time. And uh, I guess I'll see you uh, when I see you. And until then, God bless you, buddy. You too, Jay. Thanks a lot.